Welcome to the All In Remote Podcast, where we believe that companies can unlock their potential, build healthy resilience, and succeed in an increasingly volatile world. We'll explore the new challenges of leadership, best practices for developing culture and trust, and the innovative tools that help make it possible. Here's your host, Kendra Kinnison. So for today's episode, I'm delighted to introduce Olivier LeBay, president of metadata.io. Olivier, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So I have to tell you, I've been fascinated in learning about metadata and you, and I'm sure we'll hear more about that. But I'm especially curious about the team structure and that journey. Has it always been a remote company? Well, from the get-go, since I've been here, so I joined the company about two and a half years ago, um, we had the majority of our engineering team international. And that was something that we made a decision on early on. But when the pandemic hit, and that was only, what, four months after I joined the company, we decided to leverage the changes that came from the pandemic to our advantage. And so a couple of things that we did was, obviously, you know, the office was closed. And aside from my CEO and myself, who pretty much kept going to work because we were trying to close the Series A and, and set ourselves up for success, we kept going to work. But the majority of the people in the company stayed at home. And we decided to essentially change and become a remote first company. And so during the first year of the pandemic, we ended up closing our San Francisco office. And we probably had like eight people leave the Bay Area. So our headquarters was in San Francisco. I'd say at that point, two-thirds of the company was in the San Francisco Bay Area, show up to work pretty regularly. And a third was international. If you fast track it today, we have you know, a little over 80 employees. I'd say 40 are international. And we now have closed our San Francisco office, but we have opened a Chicago office and a Denver office. And so these are essentially hubs for go-to-market team members. So we have around six or seven people in the Chicago area and in Denver, I think we're up to nine, three people left the Bay Area that moved to Denver. I myself moved to Boulder, Colorado. My CEO moved to Miami. My VP of product moved to Texas. And so there was a, a big exodus as many people left California. And so we decided to essentially set ourselves up in order to really be able to leverage this remote first culture that is now a big part of the tech companies. And so now overall, we try to meet as a company. We have a couple of semi-annual kickoffs. So we are getting right now ready for the one in Miami, which will be at the end of March. And so we just finished our fiscal year at the end of January. And so try to have a kickoff in the March timeframe. And then we have a kickoff in August. All right. So we'll do two annual kickoff where we bring in as many people as want to come to the kickoff. It's not required, but it's recommended. And so we'll probably have two-thirds of our employees show up to the Miami kickoff, which would be a great time for us to get together as a team, celebrate the outstanding year that we had, and then really build on our culture. Because as you scale, and you know, we've probably doubled in size since I've been here, and we're probably going to double again in the next six months. It's really critical for people to get together. So we had a really amazing kickoff last August in Denver. And many of the employees are like, this was a highlight of my time here. It was really nice to get to meet the employees I get to work with on a daily basis, but I've never met before. And so we really took that feedback to heart. And now it's really part of, of the way that we run the company is to do these semi-annual kickoffs to get everyone together. 
Great, great points. And I want to dig in on so many of those. You've touched on some things that we've experienced. So we're a team of just over, just a hair bigger, 112, 110, 112. Similar distribution, a few hubs, as you mentioned, uh, Miami and Texas and California and the West Coast, but really spread out quite a bit as well. Gosh, I'd have to guess. I think 18 or 19 countries. That's pretty good. We're around 15, I think, right now. It's exciting to have so many diverse people. I think it really helps develop a better culture when you have a a lot of different individuals from different backgrounds that can really think about solving problems in different ways. Absolutely. And we'd had leadership retreats in May and in September, and we had planned a full team retreat in January. It was going to be our first sort of all hands, as you mentioned, and fatal flaw, I think, in the timing of that. (laughs) Well, and, and the months, you know, hindsight being what it is, you've picked much more strategic spring and summer months. I think we're a little less likely to be interrupted. So we'll have to borrow some of that wisdom when we look to figure out. But it's interesting that you mention that you're remote first, but that that sense of connection is still so important to your team. So was that something you were hearing kind of from the ground up that led you to develop those kickoffs? Yeah. I mean, I've changed as a leader. Uh, The pandemic has changed many of us, but one of the things is that I've scaled companies before in the past, and I would only hire individuals for the go-to-market roles that would show up to the office. So when I worked at G2 before or G2 Crowd, I spent four years there. I opened the San Francisco office and we went from about five people in sales to about 125 by the time I left and four years later. And pretty much every employee that was revenue generating role was in either Chicago or San Francisco. And we hired a lot of young individuals. So we really grew the team. It was really a, a sales outbound motion first during my tenure. And so we hired a lot of inexperienced business development reps, you know, SDRs. And a lot of them were able to grow into being salespeople, enterprise managers and directors and so on. And so we really wanted to be able to help these inexperienced individuals learn how to up-level their capabilities. And that is much easier to do in person. All right. If you're hiring people at school 2023 and they've never really had a full-time job before, it's really helpful for them to be able to learn from one another, right? Tap their cubemate on the side and ask them questions and so on. And so in order to do that effectively, in this new environment, it's much, much harder. And so we put in a bunch of different infrastructure that we think can help us get to where we want to be and not lose the ability to have people teach each other, right? Not always have to go to their managers or whoever owns enablement to answer easy questions. But overall, it's much different. But one of the things that we have done is that our business development team here is in Denver. So most of the team members are in Denver but you know they come in and if they're not then when we have new salespeople join the company when the customer success managers they will come for training in either Chicago or Denver to come on site because we have some executives here as well as some sales leader in the Denver area so we find it really critical when you onboard 
to at least spend a few days with your manager as well as other team members to build those connections. And then we try to have quarterly offsites with the teams. And so sales team, customer success team, product team, we'll try to meet on a quarterly basis as well. So if it's not during the beginning of the year or halfway through the year, Q2 or Q4, we'll definitely have additional offsites so that the team can get together and really think about problem solving on ways that we can increase the speed of our product roadmap or come up with new effective ways to drive revenue and drive you know net retention rates. That makes a ton of sense. And I can see why you've got the hubs and the training at the beginning. I can see where those would be such useful tools. Are there any other key tools or rhythms that you use during the times when the teams are mostly remote to help stay connected? Yeah, I mean, we obviously have a a pretty sizable tech stack, right? Tool stack that that we're leveraging. And so, you know, I think Slack is obviously a really important tool to get people to communicate with each other. One of the issues with Slack, though, is like, it's really hard to find information. So it's easy to get one-off answers, but it's really hard to have information that's easy to find. And so what we've done is, because we're about to essentially double in size over the next six months, is that promoted somebody internally that's been with our company for four years. So Logan's our senior director of product growth and knows the product inside out. And so he's owning enablement now. And so we're about to hire somebody underneath Logan's that can really help us to build the enablement because oftentimes same questions come up. And instead of having the manager or just teammates, right? Other salespeople have been here longer, teach them. We're building a wiki essentially so that all of those questions can be there. We have training videos as well that have been built so that when you're looking to learn how to do a proper demo or you're looking at modifying stages in Salesforce and it's not working for you, instead of having to go to somebody else, at least you'll have a repository of you know common questions that have already been answered that you can find the answer to. We also spend a lot of time on Zoom, like we are right now. Right? Jira is also another critical tool for us, especially on the product and engineering front, so that when customers have requests for things, we're doing that. We've also built a lot of support infrastructure over the last year as we've grown. And so we're leveraging Zendesk on that front. We also leverage Pendo, which is inside of the product so that people have questions or want to give us net promoter scores. We'll ask them for that. Um, They can also get real-time answers from our support team when they need to, which is really important to us because we're really trying to you know drive customer adoption and customer happiness. And that's really important to be able to get the answers that you need as quick to real time as sure. possible. We have also made a purchase with Gong. So Gong is a sales tool where you're essentially recording all of our calls. We find that really, really beneficial for onboarding a lot of net new sales reps, customer success managers that haven't been around new tool. And so this is a really, really important thing. So we do SPIPs for net new employees where we will basically run some kind of competition where they have to listen to a certain amount of calls. They have to leave feedback on calls. And we're really trying to increase the adoption of the tool because we found that it helps onboard much, much easier. The product that we sell, we're actually the only company in our space that does that. So we're part of MarTech, but overall what we're doing, no one else is. 
So we do multivariate experimentation for B2B companies. So instead of building one marketing campaign at a time and leveraging humans to do that, we essentially will connect your channels, we'll connect your tech stack, and we'll build hundreds if not thousands of marketing campaigns for you across channels like Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, email, and what have you. And we found that if you could just listen to calls, that's going to mean that you can learn much quicker on how to answer tough questions. And then we have the people that are listening to calls, rate the calls. And so all of the best calls get highlighted. And so it becomes much easier as a newbie to come here and say like, what should I be doing? Like, listen to calls. And so we recommend you listening to like 10 calls, 40 calls in 40 days is the metric that we've given to new sales and customer success people so that they can really get the knowledge instilled without us to having to do it one-off because obviously that's not really scalable. I love it. Okay, there's so much I want to recap there for our own team and for other other leaders that may be listening. First of all, completely agree on the tech stack. I think Pendo is the only one it sounds like I need to to check out. The others are in our our toolkit too and 100% agree, especially on Gong. I love the part about rating the calls so that the best ones flow to the top. So it's not just any 40 calls in those first 40 days. It's really making sure that the best is trickling up and that we know why it's the best. And we can say, okay, this is what's great about these calls. I think that's an excellent point that we could put to use. And I love the idea of the competition on the training element itself, because I think you're right. So many of us are part of companies where, yes, we're in an industry, but the way we're approaching solving the problem in the industry is different than so many other places that educating our own team members can be the first challenge so that those team members can then go educate potential clients. One more thing I want to add is that we also assign team buddies. So this is not a manager. It will be a teammate that does the same job function that's been here at least six months, and they'll get assigned to somebody new. And the reason that we do that is that you know there's a lot of questions that come up when you're new. And if you can't just tap somebody on the shoulder that's sitting next to you, it makes it much easier because you don't necessarily want to ask 12 questions to your managers every day. And so we make it so that you know you get assigned somebody that's in the same role and that's your team buddy. And essentially we want, you know, it helps build relationships, but it also makes it that this is somebody that's you know, there to help and answer and facilitate any fact finding that might be otherwise more cumbersome. And you do that with somebody in the same role or a, a different role? No, we do it on the same team. So if you're a salesperson, it'd be on the same, you know, a salesperson, if you're a BDR, customer success, what have you. Because oftentimes a lot of questions that come up will be not just like, how do I sign up for my benefits, but how do I do this thing in Salesforce? Or what is this meeting about? And so we really try to make it easy to build a community. We also, you know, once a month, and I know some people have, some negative connotations to these Zoom happy hours because obviously we're all on Zoom a lot now. But once a month, I assigned Ashley, who's a, a BDR manager, and she's got great energy. And so I assigned her as like our head of culture committee. We don't really have an a, a HR team yet. We're, we're building one as we speak. But we essentially have Ashley that you know runs these different type of happy hours where we have like games and you can show up and get to hang out with the team. And then we've also purchased the software called Airspeed. And Airspeed is essentially what I'd explain it's to help build community for remote companies. And so they have a beta product that just came out. And so 
I know their CEO, Doug Kimpeljohn. I used to work for him a couple of companies ago. And it's essentially like a internal Facebook for work. And so there'll be, you know, challenges and questions. And it's a great way to see people's pictures and see where they live and see what their hobbies are. And then you can build communities like cooking or like snowboarding. And so there's groups that are built off of it. So it's a really effective way to build community, even though you're remote. And then people upload their questions or upload you know, pictures to their profiles. And that really helps new people like understand who's who and what they have in common with them. We started with Pingboard for that okay. and are moving to Happio. And, okay. and I love the way you said kind of an internal Facebook for work because Slack, we have our, you know, water cooler channels and sort of team reading channels and all that. But you're right. It just doesn't quite make those lasting connections that we're... Yeah. And then it, it triggers questions of the week. So somebody highlighted and so they each week, somebody different will have a question of the week and then people participate. And then, you know, I think about Slack is you're not posting pictures of your pets or your most recent vacation or that kind of stuff. And so it makes it really fun. And so, you know, Ashley's done a terrific job owning the community building aspect of it. And uh, I look forward to giving her some resources now that we're building our first HR team. Sounds good. Okay. So I was listening in on the Best in SaaS podcast and you talked about morning, really short morning meetings with a couple different of your teams. Are you still in that rhythm? So I do not run those. So I I manage mostly executives. And so I don't run those meetings, but I did start them. And so last year I was running a customer success team. And so we would have more morning meetings and so on. We hired since then hired a VP of customer success, Rich, who's taking that on. And so I know that they have meetups in the morning and sometimes the teams will, I think a lot of people got burned out from like every morning. And so I thought in the beginning of the pandemic is important because no one knew how long this was going to last. A lot of people had a lot of different fears. And so, you know, I thought it would be a stable environment for us to just hang out in the morning and just catch up while we're having coffee. And so I think we've reduced the amount of times, but there's a sales meetup, I think on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, and people just show up and just chat about what's going on with their lives. I know CS team is doing it. Engineering and product teams, they have daily standups as well. And so I think that is a critical part of maintaining a tight, cohesive culture, because depending on your role, it's possible that you might not talk to your manager once a week, one-on-one maybe, right? And then if you're not the type of person to like be proactive in reaching out to people, you can feel like you're alone on an island. And so making these types of meeting requirements makes it that people have to show up. And I think it, it leads to you know a better cohesion among the team. That said, you also have to think about it as a manager, like, are there too many meetings, right? Are people... And this is one of the things we tried last year on the executive front is like reduce the amount of internal meetings because people are getting burned out. It's really hard to go from meeting to meeting and having 10, 12 meetings in a day. And then you have to do your work in between or before and after. It's just burnout is real. And that's definitely something that we as a company have been really thinking about because we're rapidly scaling company and it is hard to, given the amount of pressure that we build to develop the product and really shorten the amount of time it takes to scale a company, I would definitely concern about our employees, one, happy, and then two, are they feeling like there's too much demands internally and they don't have enough time to do their job? And so those are all things that we think about a lot. We have some 
forget the name of it, but there's some software that we have that tracks the amount of meetings people have on a weekly basis so that we can figure out how much percent is internal versus external meetings. And do they have enough time to do their day jobs, given all of the requirements that we have now to meet on Zoom? Great points. Thank you for for just being so candid and and real. I think you're right. The strategies that worked pre-pandemic for remote work, the strategies that worked early pandemic for remote work, and then now the strategies that we're realizing, okay, if we're going to be remote indefinitely, what are the strategies that we need to adapt to? Early on, you mentioned that you feel like you've changed as a leader through this. And certainly you've mentioned a number of things that you've changed in the systems and of course, replaced yourself in different roles. But in terms of your leadership philosophy, what are some things that you think are different about you now? Well, I think I was less willing to bend on what I believed as an executive or a team leader. You know, for example, you had to be in the office. It was just like a requirement for me. You have to be in the office. And one thing I've done here is that instead of hiring a lot of inexperienced people, most of the people that I've hired out of the gate had experience. And so this is the third startup that I'm scaling over the last eight years. And this time around, I had a lot of people that I've worked with in the past that were looking to come on board. And so it was easy for me to recruit some really quality people that I had worked with in the past and I also had experience, which wasn't the case at my last startup. And so that was definitely something that really helps because even if they cost 20 or 40, 50% more, if you've worked with them in the past and they're really good at what they do, you can give them a lot of autonomy and they're going to execute. Now, if you're not in that case, because budget is a constraint and so you need to hire less experienced people, then that is a different situation completely. Because I do believe that people that are young and hungry, a lot of millennials create development and they want to get promoted every six months and all of that stuff, you have to essentially create a enablement infrastructure that gets them the ability to, even if they don't get promoted every six months, they have the ability to reach these new milestones, right? And so what some people are doing is from a business development standpoint or in a sales standpoint, you have like four different tiers of BDRs four different tiers of sales. And once you hit a certain threshold of sold revenue, you can move into the next tier. Or you hit a certain threshold of meetings booked as a BDR. You can move to BDR2 and then BDR3 and then senior BDR. And so I think it's really important. And this is mostly on the revenue front, which is the teams that I manage. But people want to get promoted and they want to learn, right? They want to, they want to push. One of the main reasons people quit their jobs is usually about concern their boss. But the second thing is has to do with their lack of learning, right? Development. And so I think that's really important. And as the companies I tend to work at scale really rapidly. And so there's always going to be opportunities. But if you're not rolling out enablement where they can learn how to... So if you have a seller has been around for two years, they want to go into management. Well, you know, one thing that we've rolled out here is a master's class. So we hired a company that essentially does training. It's one three-hour training a month, and it's on developing as a human, but as well as a leader. 
And so they're learning these things. And it's not mandatory, these trainings, but if you want to go into management, it's required. So you have to do those. And so we're trying to, and I think this will get easier once we you know, have a couple of full-time people that work in HR, but enablement is critical. And this is by far the most competitive job market I've ever seen. And people are not always motivated by just money. Oftentimes, it's definitely one of the first things I look at. But two is like, can this company get me to where I want to be? And so one of the things that we do here is we definitely, through the interview process, we try to clearly understand like, what are your goals and aspirations? What is your two-year goal? And what's your five-year goal? And I want to hire people that want something else, right? They want to get to something, right? I also try to hire people that are curious because people are curious tend to keep asking questions and going the extra mile to better understand. And I think that's critical if you're trying to do problem solving, which a lot of sales and customer successes is about problem solving. But you need to basically give them and make them believe that you can help them develop into what they want to be, whether that be a manager or whether it be go into a different role, maybe go from being a BDR into marketing. We are giving all of those options to our employees. And the other thing is we do performance reviews every six months. And a lot of that is goal setting expectations, as well as like career progression. All right. So I want to chime in on another topic. I was listening when you guest hosted the podcast with Jack and Mariano. And Jack chimed in at the end where he said that he thought everyone should have experience working in hospitality. And I literally had to laugh out loud because we do look for some non-traditional things, perhaps in our team and hospitality, be it hotels or restaurants or whatever that might be, is certainly something that we look for. So I I co-sign that one. I'm curious, is that, are those kinds of qualities things that you're looking for as well? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think customer service is a critical component to being a good employee, no matter what job you do, right? Because it's like sales, right? Even if you're not a salesperson at work, you're selling all the time, right? You're selling your manager on things. You're selling your teammates on doing things for you. You're selling your spouse, your kids, right? And customer service is all about meeting their expectations, or at least if something did not go as planned, is to one, have some empathy on how the customer is feeling. And I think that's one of the things that you learn. My first over-the-table job, I had some jobs under the table. My first over-the-table job was I worked at McDonald's. I was 16 years old. And I worked at McDonald's. I got a car and I had to pay it off. And that was the first job I found. A friend of work there. And I worked there for six months. I got a better job six months later. But I learned a ton, right? Because you are dealing with just people all the time. They want their burgers cooked a certain way. They want their fries with no salt. And it's just like, what? You want fries with no salt? <laughs> okay. So there's all these things, right? And so you have to basically handle meeting expectations of people and apologizing and saying, you'll make it up for them and so on. So I think it's a critical job function for anything that you want to do. And so I think my kids, I got three kids, they're definitely going to get some jobs at 16 and they're probably going to be in customer service industry and they're going to learn how to handle those, those problems that arise. I love it. And I love that y'all called out a segment that sometimes gets overlooked. It's really hard to develop that skill set. It's really hard to simulate developing that skill set other than just living in it. And I think about even the team dynamics, the people you're shoulder to shoulder with, not even just the customers, but your own teammates in those hospitality environments. You've really got to 
develop some interpersonal skills because you can't do much without the support of your team. In those environments, if you're working the counter and you've made the fry guy unhappy, you're going to have a bad day. So you've really got to have the support of all of your team. And I think that's really true in our organizations as well. Yeah. I mean, you're all in it together. It doesn't matter what team you're on. At the end of the day, you're trying to make your customers successful and customer happy. And so that's definitely how we try to resolve issues here is like, think about how the customer, what their needs are and how we can help them achieve their goals. And I think having empathy is definitely something that is at the forefront of the pandemic because you're not going to be able to retain your employees, right? If you don't think about how they are, what's going on with their life. And oftentimes we don't know. And now that no one's showing up to the office, I think you're a little more remote in the sense that you have less visibility into how they are day to day. But one of the things that we do here is like cameras required for any internal or external meeting. I just set uh, a culture that you have to have your camera on for internal or external meetings. So you still do have a few boundaries here and yes. there. That yeah, you- yeah. I mean, obviously, if there's a good reason, you know, the person can slack me. It's like, I can't, I'm on my way to the airport or what have you. But I think it is important to get to see people. I run a, a revenue meeting every week and there's like 50 people on that call. Well, I want to see everybody's face when I'm speaking to them. And I think it helps create connection because if you're not seeing anybody, you know, the other person is more likely to not be paying attention or be go on uh, perusing the websites instead of really engaging in the conversation. It's hard to do when the camera's on though. Good points. Okay. So I love that we're drawing out a little more about you as a leader, because I think these are absolutely challenging times for leaders. So thank you for just really sharing your journey. And I know you mentioned earlier that there's a lot you're bending on now, where maybe you'd held firm in previous roles. Are there other areas where you are still pretty firm? You mentioned the, the cameras. Anything else come to mind that you feel is, is still a pretty high bar that needs to be kept? Well, I look for certain types of people. So it depends on you know, like the size of your business. People that work at large companies typically have a different DNA than people that work at Series A, Series B, Series C company, right? And so I think it's really important that when you're doing the interviewing and you're trying to find people to bring on, the DNA of that individual matches where the company is going over the next 12 to 24 months. I think that is really important. And you can't just hire people that are exactly the same. And so I think it's really important to have diversity. We've won some diversity awards here. Our VP of engineering, our VP of product are female, which is pretty rare for for software companies. And so I think we have half of our executives are non-American. And so there's a lot of things that are different here, but diversity is definitely, and it's part of our values and culture. And so those are key things for us is we want to be a company that is not your typical company. And so we're doing things to ensure that what got us to this point remains. It's a very big critical component on how my CEO and myself are trying to run the business is to ensure that we have a people with different backgrounds and we try to emulate the population and not just have a bunch of tech bros. Great points. Those diverse perspectives really do pay off. I think once you've fallen down a rabbit hole and had a team member with a different perspective pull you out pretty quickly, you realize how valuable that is. All right. Well, we do have a bit of our team in the audience and Rachel's got a great question. So I want to bring Rachel up to the stage to ask her question. Hi, guys. Hi, Olivier. Hello. Hi. So nice to connect with you. This has been so fascinating. I do have a question for you regarding 
your in-person meetups that you do, your kickoffs, while they've been so valuable to you for company and culture building, how do you plan on maintaining that or adjusting that as you double and triple in size? Yeah. Well, the good news is we save a lot of money on real estate. So that means that we're reinvesting those funds into these events. I mean, the event that we're going to have in in March is going to cost around $100,000, maybe a little bit more. And so probably be a lot more in six months when we've doubled the team. And so I think it's probably the most important thing we do as a company to ensure that we can get our team to feel like they're united to feel like they know each other. And there's been companies that have been able to do this, but there's very few companies that I know of that have been able to scale to, you know, 500 or a thousand employees being remote without doing offsites. And so I've um, did some research on this and most companies will do these offsites. And you're seeing more and more. I was on LinkedIn today and I saw a couple of companies that were in like remote locations, Mexico, and they're just flying their team there and they're just doing a team offsite. Historically, and you know, I've gone to run a few presidents club over the years, and historically, presidents club were only for people in sales. And so here we do a revenue club, and I try not to differentiate between customer success and support and sales. And it's just you know, there's a revenue team, but it really is a great bonding experience. And the other thing is that a lot of the new people don't necessarily feel like they have access to the executives. We do, you know, in all hands every month and every executive in the company will have, you know, a slide or two and they'll talk to all of our employees. But some people are shy to ask a question when there's 80 people on a call. But if you're at an offsite and you just had dinner with somebody, you can approach somebody on a different team and just ask them some questions, right? And so I think that if you're an extrovert, introvert, it can be more difficult for some versus others to ask questions and build relationships because it's really not part of their nature. And so we want to make it so that you can do that more effectively. And so we'll have a a president's club for revenue team members who excel last year, which will also be in March. And then we'll have the kickoff. And then we want to essentially have breakout sessions where the teams talk to their teams, but also breakout session when you're meeting with people that you typically don't engage with. We do leaderships offsite every quarter, but we had one in Miami in November. We are essentially, all the execs are meeting with three team members per quarter that are on different teams that are not rolling up to their orgs. And so we want to ensure that we have that clear line of communication where even if somebody's not on your team or it's an exec that you know, you've never engaged with, like we want to have an open door policy. And every month here, if you're a new hire, first week of every month, each executive will meet with all the new hires. And one of the things that's really important for me is that doesn't matter what my title is, like I'm an open door. So if you want to get a hold of me, you can always Slack me, you can email me, we can go on Zoom, we can chat through things. But I make it very clear to any new employee that I'm here to enable them and ensure that they're successful. And I want them to know that they can reach out for anything. And I think it's really important that leadership does that now because it's harder to ping somebody that you don't know versus just walking by their desk and say, hey, I had a quick question. You have a few minutes to chat. Great points. Yeah, we really have to go out of our way, as you said, as leaders to let folks know that not only do they have permission, but that you really enjoy those interactions and welcome them. Thank you again. Yeah, we do internal NPS as well on a monthly basis. It's anonymous, but that's one great way to pulse check how the team feels 
and how different teams feel. So we can isolate the scores by team, but then we also aggregate it all across the board. And then we share the results on the all hands. We're like, hey, 80% of you are happier, which is great, but some of you are not. Here are the reasons you're not. So if you want, our CEO is like, please reach out to me. I'd love to know how we can improve or how I can improve to ensure that you feel you're supported and being successful in the company. I love that. Is there a specific tool you use for that? Yeah, no, right now we're using Google survey. It's pretty simple. We're probably going to do something else down the road, but we wanted to make it anonymous because you get better feedback. So, you know, we pull our customers all the time through either NPS software or inside of our software via Pendo. And so it's really important. And we want to get better because at the end of the day, if a team is not happy, I don't think the business is going to succeed. And so I think it's critical to get those kinds of pulse check on a monthly basis to see, you know, what we can work on. That's a great point. We do a a mindfulness check-in, similar scale and anonymous, but I can see that a a more NPS type and then the transparency of it would be helpful. And as you can say, then if you see what folks are experiencing, you can sort of tailor your, if it's too many meetings, you can adjust or whatever it might be, you can really get the pulse to adjust that. Well, wow. Thanks for being such an open book in terms of really sharing the sort of the reality of operating a company through the pandemic and what it means for your teams and then the evolutions within that for your team and for you as a leader. I just really appreciate how much you've shared with us and lots of wisdom and insights that I look forward to continue learning from you. All right. Well, thank you, Kendra. It was a pleasure. I appreciate your time.